Let us pray. Gracious God, by your word and spirit, we ask that you guide us so that in your light we may see light, so that in your truth we may find freedom, and so that in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A few weeks ago, a member of our church told me that the Beatitudes were the most meaningful part of the Bible for her to read. Her comments have led me to think about the attitudes, think about the Beatitudes over the past few weeks, specifically what they mean to me, to us, their role in the life and teaching of Jesus, their place in the faith out of which they grow, in which they in turn shape and form. While I was away last weekend on the men's retreat, I began to jot down a few thoughts about the Beatitudes. My jotting down soon became writing, then a rough draft for this sermon. Always a pleasant gift when it writes itself, especially a week in advance. On one level, the Beatitudes are simply a wonderful sanctuary from the divisions and discord that we see daily in our world. Familial, racial, political, religious, electoral, judicial, legislative, economic. When we hear the Beatitudes, they provide us with a moment of welcome peace. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who can hear these words and look at her neighbor and feel rancor? Even if nothing changes about the world from which we have come and to which we return after hearing these words, in the very hearing of them we experience at least a moment of respite, quiet, calm. We experience Sabbath. We are changed by the Beatitudes even if the change is simply one Deep, restful breath. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. A second way the Beatitudes come to us is different from the way of sanctuary. This second way is the way of law. I'm told that Luther viewed the Beatitudes as an impossible ideal that serves to remind us of our sin because they put forth a standard that we are not able to reach. In his reading, these statements of blessing become a moral bromide, which present an if-then way of looking at the world and looking at faith. If you are poor in spirit, then you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
says a legal reading and understanding of the Beatitudes. But at least in my experience, when the Beatitudes function as law for us, they become more a yoke than a freedom from being yoked. They become become more a burden than a blessing, more a rod by which we measure how far we fall short rather than how far we have grown. I, for one, do not need the Beatitudes to convince me that I have a dark and sinful side. I have plenty of first-hand experience with that reality. Thus, if the choice is between Beatitudes as law and Beatitudes as sanctuary, I choose sanctuary, momentary as it is. A third way in which the Beatitudes have come to us has a strong tradition in Christian history. This way interprets the Beatitudes as an ethic, a way we are to live as Christians, a way we are to be as Christians. In this understanding, the Beatitudes define being a Christian as living in imitation of Christ, as implied by the popular question and bracelet, What would Jesus do? There's a lot of material in the Beatitudes that give this view legitimacy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Clearly, if we take the Beatitudes as the most specific and concrete statement in the New Testament of what it means to live the way Jesus lived, then we naturally draw specific ethical stances and actions by which in almost all circumstances we seek to live and act if we call ourselves Christian. If we follow the Beatitudes as an ethic, we choose diplomacy over warfare. We choose mercy over justice, at least that's punitive. We choose forgiveness over retribution. We choose benefit of the doubt over rush to judgment. If we are Beatitude Christians, we emphasize empathy over enterprise, compassion over ambition, sacrifice over success, suffering over self-indulgence. So deep is this ethic embedded in the Beatitudes that many people over time do not feel they can join a church or serve as an officer, for they have in their lives taken up arms, persecuted suspected criminals, laid people off at work, made decisions that brought themselves good but harm to others. It is indeed a challenge to read the Beatitudes from the position of affluence in which most of us in this community live. Even though most of us acknowledge that it's impossible always to live without compromise in a fallen world, that knowledge doesn't deter a good number of Christians 
from seeking to do what Jesus would do, often at great cost to themselves and their families. In 1718, Quaker Benjamin Lay, a hobbled young man, very four, barely four feet tall, sailed to Barbados and witnessed firsthand the human cruelty of slavery. He came back convinced that everything about this arrangement was an offense against God. In 1732, he and his hobbled wife joined William Penn's holy experiment, a Quaker community. Six years later, his wife died. He dramatically denounced the slaveholders in the society and became a hermit, living in a cave outside a hill, holed up with his 200 books, living off milk and water, roasted turnips and honey. He kept bees and made his own clothes. In 1758, when the Quakers formally denounced slavery and Benjamin Lay was told, he said, I can now die in peace. He closed his eyes and he expired. Benjamin Franklin's sister had Lay's portrait hanging on the wall of her home. And after signing the Declaration of Independence, Philadelphia surgeon Benjamin Rush said of Benjamin Lay, some seeds produce their fruits in short time, but the most valuable of them, like the venerable oak, are centuries in growing. Benjamin Lay was a beatitude Christian. In all honesty, I know that I am not a Benjamin Lay. I rarely ask the direct question, what would Jesus do? Rather, I take the Beatitudes to be a statement in the most beautiful and arresting language of the way of God's reign. A reign that is coming toward us, that is calling us into itself, that is in the process of remaking the entire created order to restore it to the original beauty in which it was created by God. God's reign has not yet fully arrived. Yet, as the Apostle Paul says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. We live our lives waiting, but actively anticipating this reign of God, actively, prayerfully, and we live toward it as if it has already arrived. As such, I believe that the Beatitudes are promissory. They speak of what is coming, but not yet fully arrived, calling us to live toward them, inspiring and empowering us to embody them in our own time, in our own day, in our own way. One of the most positive aspects of 
social media led my wife to share with me this week a video of our 10-month-old grandchild trying to pull herself up to a chair in front of her and then plopping down again and then reaching up for the chair again and then plopping down again and then reaching up again. After a few tries, she decided to lay the stuffed animal aside and to put both hands on the chair, stretching to reach again, stretching to stand, stretching to learn, stretching to walk, stretching to learn to make her way through the world that lies before her. Each time she fell back, but she laughed, and she tried again. That is what the Beatitudes are for us. They are the chair in front of us that we stretch to reach, knowing that whatever lies within our reaching and then pulling ourselves up to it will be more interesting and more fruitful than simply being content to lie on our back and play with the toy in our hand. So we stretch for the Beatitudes. Not because they threaten to punish us if we don't reach them by a certain date, but because they are coming toward us. And we know that our future lies with them. The Beatitudes are a promise neither false nor make-believe, neither broken nor unfulfilled. They are a promise not made in the heat of a political campaign, but in the slow march to the tree of Calvary. They are, they are a promise as real as the clouds, as tactile as the rain that fell upon you all coming in today, as beautiful as the sunrise, as comforting as the sunset, as firm as the floor of the forest on which we pitch our tent to sleep at night. The Beatitudes come to us, and we are drawn to them. They do provide sanctuary. They do remind us once again that we have not traveled fully down the road that they unfurl before us. They do present what Jesus would do, and perhaps more than we realize what we can do. But more than anything else, they are what is and what was and what is to come already sown among us as seed by the one who is Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. Amen.